It's just delightful to be with you and um, see many faces that we know, albeit from behind the masks and love, but also uh, see some, some new, new faces. Um, see my, my favorite barista, Jonathan and his family, wonderful to see you there. And, uh, you know, during prayer, I, um, I just happened to, to notice around the room a number of people wearing like army green colors. And I know that's kind of the thing at the moment, this army green color. Um, but it, it reminded me of the verse that Kel would have preached from uh, last week, and I'm going to follow on from that in the book of Philippians, where the Apostle Paul, writing from a Roman prison, says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. I want you to know what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And that word advance is an army word. It's a military word. And it, it, it has the idea of an army in advancing against opposition, almost like a blazing out-of-control fire will just wipe out trees and grass and buildings, anything in its way. Any of you that have seen an out-of-control fire, that's the idea. And I'm disappointed in my heart, I'm sure many of you are, that we can't be kind of doing the official thing this morning. Um, I'm disappointed, I'm sure you are, that we're having to worship from behind masks and socially distance, etc. But, beloved, we need to understand that a sovereign God is big and strong and loving enough to be able to bend circumstances to serve His gospel and His glory and our good. Amen? And that's the heart of our joy, that, that whatever happens to us can serve to advance the gospel. Nothing actually is strong enough to stand in the way of the advance of the gospel. The Word of God cannot be bound. And so I stand with you this morning with joy, saying, God, what are you going to do next? I keep on hearing these glimpses of the gospel and seeing glimpses of the gospel uh, advancing. And let's be together as a people, not grumpy about what's happened to us. We can wish them to change, and we should, but actually eyes upwards, trusting that a sovereign God can cause them to advance the gospel. Amen? Amen. 2020, 2020, crazy, used to be known as a phrase meaning clarity, like hindsight is 2020. That's what it used to be known as. I think from here on out, 2020 will be used as a phrase for crazy. Like, like uh, ma'am, can you, can you please keep your kids in order? They're going 2020, you know? Sir, can you please keep your dog on the leash? He's going 2020. I, I, I just think it's that kind of year, and, and we're no longer going to use it for its clarity. Because how many of us really have real clarity about what's going on? But what we see in this beautiful letter, the letter of joy, as it's called, is that in the uncertainty and the crazy of life, there are some things that are absolutely clear that we can count on, that we can take to the bank, and that will give us resilient joy when everyone else is fainting with despair. About four or five years ago, a seventh grade school teacher named Angela Duckworth in New York started to notice a trend amongst her seventh grade class 
that irrespective of economic status, of culture, of family of origin, there were some kids that just seemed to rise above the crazy. And, and for years, she, she kind of tried to work out what was the consistent thing and ended up in 2016 writing a book called Grit. Grit, the power of perseverance and passion. And in it, it became a famous TED talk. Grit, she claimed, it wasn't IQ, it wasn't talent, but grit was the best predictor of success. Grit, she said, depends on a different kind of hope for the future. She, she could have been doing a summary of the book of Philippians, where the Apostle Paul talks about a kind of grit, or as our series goes, the pursuit of resilient joy that actually doesn't come from within, but that actually comes from the gospel, gives us access to the Spirit and access to a community of faith that is pursuing Jesus together. And so I want to continue unpacking what it is to pursue resilient joy together, this kind of grit amidst the crazy. Philippians chapter 1, verse 18 to 30. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Is that army imagery again. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Imagine this letter being read out to the church in Philippi. Remember Philippi uh, was in Eastern Europe, Paul's first plant into Macedonia in that area. And so he was writing from this Roman prison like a spiritual father to his spiritual sons and daughters, and, and he himself was suffering terribly having uh, been shipwrecked, falsely accused, appealed to Caesar. Now he'd been uh, in this prison with, uh, for at least two years, and he was surrounded, and some say even chained, to a guard, the imperial guard that 
uh, was 9,000 soldiers like the Marines of the day. And yet he was writing with such a sense of resilient joy and imparting that resilient joy to, to them. So imagine this letter from him being read out. And I think the optimists in the room would have said, Paul is coming to us. He's going to be delivered from prison, and he's going to come to us. It's going to be awesome. He's expecting fully to, to come to us. And they could have backed it up in verse 26, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you again. He, he fully expected to come to them in the flesh again. So the optimists in the room would have said, he's coming. He's going to be delivered from that imperial God. The pessimists in the room would have said, no, 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 no. He says that it's been granted to us for, to suffer for Christ. And so Jesus is going to be glorified in my suffering. I'm not, he's not going to be delivered from prison at all. And actually, both optimist and pessimist were, were both right. At the core of the Apostle Paul's resilient joy was that he was able to rejoice in a greater deliverance before actual deliverance came. It's, it's true that he had a human hope to get out of jail. And let's remember, it had happened once before. It happened in Acts 16, remember, as he planted the Philippian church with Paul and Silas, and they were thrown into prison for delivering a slave girl of a demon. And there they were in the middle of the night singing hymns of praise to God. They were rejoicing before deliverance actually came. And then there's this earthquake and chains rattling. I mean, everyone who's grown up in Sunday school will know that song, know that moment. And the prison bars fly open. And yet the second prison was different. I'm sure there were, that there were moments when Paul in this Roman prison went, what were those songs we sang? What were those psalms we recited? Can we do that again? Do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord. And this time, two years later, no deliverance from prison. He, he had a human hope that he would be delivered, but actually there was something that caused him to rejoice in a greater deliverance. And that's such a key, beloved, when we find ourselves in confined seasons. Whether the confinement is being locked at home, behind a mask, social distancing, not being able to travel, we tend to, you and I, have an attitude to, towards joy that is like, when we, when we get delivered of this mask, we'll rejoice. When we get delivered of this virus, we will rejoice. When we get shot of this terrible job, then we will rejoice. When we get the stimulus check, then we will rejoice. And, and beloved, it's, it's human to hope for a change of our current circumstances, but resilient joy actually rejoices in a much greater deliverance. Much greater deliverance. Paul is not, listen here, Paul is not putting possibilities in charge of his joy. How often do you and I put possibilities in charge of our joy? This thing that I'm hoping for, 
this thing that I'm hoping will change, when it changes, I'll rejoice. But he's saying, no, 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 I rejoice. And he's talking about an ultimate deliverance, a deliverance from sin, a deliverance from the sting of death, a deliverance from interrupted fellowship with Jesus where he knows that if he does die, he will have uninterrupted fellowship with Jesus. And he rejoices that he has been delivered from the prison of shame, delivered from the prison of condemnation, delivered from the prison of the, the, the sting of death and the fear of death. If we are to be a people of resilient joy, we need to learn to rejoice in the things that we have already been delivered from. We must. We must. Instead of putting possibilities in charge of our joy. There's a difference between hoping for joy and rejoicing in hope. Apostle Paul wasn't hoping for joy one day. He was rejoicing now in hope that the deliverance that Christ won on the cross and the empty tomb actually was secure, laid up for him in heaven. Beloved, that's what sets us apart from the world. We have a core of our joy that is solid and unchanging and enables us like the prophet Habakkuk, where he said, though the fig tree does not blossom, though there be no fruit on the vine, yet will I, hello, yet will I rejoice in the Lord my Savior. How many of us look at the fig tree not blossoming and there be no fruit on the vine in our lives? Yet will I rejoice in the Lord my Savior. Elizabeth Elliot, the wife and widow of famous missionary Jim Elliot, who took the gospel to the Amazon and was killed by the people he tried to preach to. And Elizabeth Elliot actually went back forgave her husband's murderers and took the gospel to them and led them to Christ. Talk about resilient joy, resilient grace. And she said this thing, she said, the secret is Christ in me, not me in another set of circumstances. See, you and I think the secret is when my circumstances change, then I will rejoice, but the secret is Christ in me me. It's, it's human to hope for a change in our confined circumstances. It's human. I hope and you hope. But beloved, we need to learn to count it joy what we have been delivered from. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. He redeems my life from the pit. He crowns me with loving kindness. He heals me of my diseases, think of what he's delivered us from. That's the beginnings of joy. Secondly, resilient joy has a, has a simple vision, and, and it's the glory of Christ. It has a simple vision. It's, it's the glory of Christ. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The apostle Paul here, he, he faces a dilemma, but it's a very simple dilemma. Which shall I choose, he says, verse 21. I'm hard-pressed between the two. Either I depart and I see the glory of Christ face to face, or otherwise I stay so that you Philippians can get a better glimpse of the glory of Christ. I stay for your advance in the gospel. In other words, if I stay, it's for the glory of Christ. And if I live, 
sorry, and if I die, I'll gain and glimpse the glory of Christ. To live as Christ, to die is gain. I have to say, I don't live like this most of the time. How about you? I don't live like this most of the time. Well, you know, if I, I live here, it's for the glory of Christ, and if I, if I die, it's, it's, it's gain because I'll see the glory of Christ. When I think of death, I don't think of death as gain very much. I think of it as loss. I think of loss of my family and my marriage and the church. I think of losing experiences and perhaps milestones and ambitions that I, I have. I, I think of death in a very sentimental way. I know theologically I'm going to be with Jesus is awesome, but how many of us actually anticipate the gain of death? It's because we're not thinking through the lens of the glory of Christ. And again, it's human to enjoy this world. It's been created by God. Even though it's broken, it's beautiful. But this is unique to the Christian faith. You see, to the Buddhist, death is just an illusion. To the atheist, death is annihilation. It's just a dead end. To the moralist, death is a gamble. How good is good enough? Will God... Let me into his heaven. How good is good enough? To the Christian, death is gain. Death is gain. Death is glorious. Death is a homecoming. Death is a wedding. Death is a graduation. When we see it through the lens of the glory of Christ, D.L. Moody, one of my favorite evangelists from, from Chicago, he wrote in a newspaper just before he died because people loved him, didn't want him to die because his ministry was so powerful. And he said, he said, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. Death is gain. And the dilemma is, oh Lord, if I die, I see your glory face to face. And if I stay, it's not for my glory. It's that others might glimpse your glory. I stay for the progress of your faith. Can we ask the Lord to give us more simplicity in our life vision? Because I lose my joy when I complicate it. And I make it all about me and my glory. I think very often I'm a bit of a glory photobomber of Jesus. You know those photo bombers? Someone's taking a photo and, and they get in the frame. And very often we, we photo bomb Jesus. Oh yeah, Jesus, we want you to have glory, but can we also have glory too? Can we have recognition and praise and accolades? And that's when life gets very complicated and then when we don't get satisfaction and accolades and praise and glory, we get really glum and annoyed and resentful. But if we're living for the glory of Christ, joy is easier to come by. Resilient joy has a, has a simple, simple vision. It's the glory of Christ. When I was 18, I met a lady called Lizzie Mahami, who was 12 years older than me. We were on the same missions team together. And Lizzie was a black South African. Uh, she was a Susutu lady. She was engaged to a man called Humphrey. 
and uh, I and Renell later attended their, their wedding. But Lizzie was my first black friend. And Lizzie taught me with such grace about the truth of the terror of racism in South Africa where I grew up. But she did it with such incredible grace, and she wanted change, and she lived for change, but there was an otherworldliness about her that was actually her greatest gift to me. And the first day that I met her, I'll never forget, she wore a big canvas backpack, and on the backpack, in big kind of permanent marker, was written, Philippians 1, 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It was amazing knowing Lizzie. She later and her husband joined our church and we helped them to plant a church in Soweto where they lived. And in 2016, Lizzie died early. Lizzie and Humphrey never had their own children, but they were incredible with orphans. And Lizzie and Humphrey did want to see social change, but actually, she didn't put all her joy in that. Her joy was in glimpsing her Savior. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And while I'm here, I'm going to trust that people grow in the glory of Christ. But ultimately, when I see Him face to face, that will be my joy. It's amazing to meet and know a woman that lived this. That lived this. And the simple joy that she brought. Pursuit of resilient joy. Thirdly, is a communal pursuit. It's a, it's a communal pursuit. Verse 19, it's really interesting. Go there with me. Paul says, yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Uh, Paul had not put people in charge of his joy. He had a joy that was connected to the Spirit of Christ, through the Spirit of Christ, it says. But then he also says, and through your prayers. Can you say that with me from behind your muffled masks? Through your prayers. Paul is not a joy-isolated island. Through the Spirit of Christ, he has developed a kind of unsinkable buoyancy to his life. But he's not a one-man canoe. Paul never says, I don't need you, Philippians. I've got Jesus. Please, never say that. It sounds super spiritual. I don't need you guys. I've got Jesus. Even Paul does not say this. He says, through the Spirit of Jesus and your prayers. This will turn out for my deliverance. Resilient joy is a communal practice, beloved. We are called to bring buoyancy to one another. And every single one of us, even if we walk closely with Jesus, have moments when we feel like the wind and the waves of lives are just submerging us. We lose our buoyancy. We get a hole in that canoe. And thank the Lord, we are traveling with other people who can bail the boat and plug it because they are praying and encouraging. Amen? This is why you and I are taking risks of being together. There's something about the embodied people of God that is good for our buoyancy. And I think I look pretty good on a screen. I'm joking. I don't really. But there's something that you miss from behind a screen. You just do. 
There's something about the embodied people of God that we need for our joy. That's why the Apostle Paul in verse 26 says, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you. In other words, he's saying, look, I think I can help your joy by writing you a letter. And he did. But man, you will glory in Christ Jesus even more when I come to you. When we kiss and when we hug and when we can see each other's eyes and feel each other's gestures. It's a crazy thing how nuance gets lost from behind a screen, doesn't it? It's a scary thing how we can write an email that we would never, ever be brave enough face-to-face to say to the person. Why? It can be really brave and really nasty on social media or an email, but actually when you see the person, you're like, oh, no, 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 this is someone I'm angry with, but I love them. can't do that. The embodied people of God bring us joy. I want to encourage you in this spirit to the discipline of celebration. One of the ways that we bring us one another joy is that we get into the discipline of celebration. Do you know that it was Kelly's birthday yesterday? It was my birthday three days ago. I got him a gift and wrote him a card and left it on our dining room table by mistake. But there's a tendency during these days when these milestones come just to go, oh, you know, it's just a terrible time. We can't celebrate properly. No, no, no. The discipline of celebrating every, every good gift from God. Be that people. Find ways to celebrate God's life and every milestone together. And then Paul says, actually, it's not just being together that's going to be good for your joy, but it's actually being of one heart and mind. He says, In verse 28, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or am absent, he doesn't know which, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. There are few things that bring a leader more joy than when a people are united in one mind and one spirit for the sake of the gospel. There are few things that rob a leader more of joy than when people do not have one heart, do not have one spirit, and do not have one vision. And what the Apostle Paul is doing is, remember, his surroundings are the Roman legion. And he's thinking in military terms, your opponents, those who oppose the gospel, those who have thrown me in prison. And then he says, and you are striving side by side, shoulder to shoulder for the fidelity or the faith of the gospel. The picture he's using is of a Roman army. And the Roman soldiers used to have this military formation that they used to call the tortoise shell formation, where they would be side by side against an enemy and they'd put their shields above them and their shields besides them, and they just had this impregnable tortoiseshell formation. No one could get in, and they would just march against their opponents. And he's saying, actually, the gospel causes us to be an army like that, striving side by side. 
for the sake of the gospel. Why? He says, for the faith of the gospel. Why? That word faith is fidelity. Hear me for a moment. The fidelity of the gospel requires that the church is united. Why? Because how can we preach the gospel of reconciliation, people to God and people to people, if we ourselves are divided? It doesn't make sense. And yet when we are united, even with our differences of opinion, on masks and social distancing and race and politics and the economy and whatever, where we actually stand on the holy ground of the gospel with one captain Jesus and one mission, seeing people saved, actually a watching world has to say, what is it that glues you together? You guys have got no business being friends. You hardly agree on anything that we think matters, and you're able to say, yeah, but what really matters is the gospel. And we strive side by side. We're not opponents. We are allies. What joy when people can actually strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. I've got five minutes left. But I, I just want to take some time, just a little bit of time, to help you resist divisiveness by resisting gossip and slander. And I'm not saying this because I've heard that there's gossip and slander. I just know that in a time as divisive as this, there's a tendency to gossip and slander. Oh, do you know this person? They did this and they believe this. Did you hear that? This is what you do when someone comes and starts to talk to you about someone else in the church. The first thing you do is you just say, hey man, can I just say, or can I just ask, what you're about to tell me about them, have you already told them? Simple thing. Romans 18 just says, go to your brother if you offend. So, so before you speak to me, can you just please go and speak to them? It's kind of this awkward biblical moment. But I'm telling you, it's war against the enemy. And then if they say, and they often do, oh, no, 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 I've spoken to them, but they won't listen to me. Then you say, all right, I'm going to hear you out, but just know, as soon as you finish telling me, you and I are going to go to this person, because Matthew 18 says, if, if your brother sins and then doesn't repent, then go take someone else. So in other words, I'm not going to be your gossip dumping ground. If I have to hear you out, you and I are going to go straight up afterwards, and we're going to work it out between the three of us. I tell you what, that is striving side by side for the fidelity of the gospel. A divided world needs a united church. That does not mean we agree on every detail of life. It means we agree on what matters. Amen? And there is such joy in that, beloved. Such joy in that. God, unity, and God, joy by doing it. Amen? Finally, a resilient joy embraces suffering for Christ as a gift. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer. Thanks a lot, Paul. It's been granted. I mean, I like the idea of believing in Christ, that gift, but the gift of suffering for the sake of Christ? 
Not so much. But he says, it has been granted to you. It's been given. It's a gift not only to believe, but also to suffer for the sake of Christ. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here I still have. In other words, he's saying belief and suffering, it's part of the same gift package of salvation. And that there is a blessing not only in believing in Christ, there's a blessing in partnering with those who are suffering. Paul is not saying all of you are also going to be thrown in prison like me. He's saying you are not exempt from suffering. And actually your partnership with me in prison is a blessing. I want to land by asking you parents if you will give your kids the blessing of partnership with persecuted Christians. Persecution might not come our way, although we do feel rising hostility, and so this speaks to us. But one of the ways of developing resilient joy, especially as we feel rising hostility to the gospel, is to actively pastor with those who are really being persecuted for Christ. Because it causes us to go, okay, I mean, here in America, things aren't great, but compared to Christians in India, compared to Christians in Pakistan, oh Lord, we're doing just fine, thank you very much. And one of the great blessings that we have, and I'm, I know I'm landing it really practically, one of the blessings we have as Southlands with our different congregations is partnership with Christians in India who are facing persecution, in Nepal who are facing persecution, and in Thailand. Do you know what? It's for our resilient joy. Kel and Marianne and Ronell and I were in Thailand end of last year. You prayed, you sent, you gave. Thank you so much. And one of the great joys that we came back with was, oh Lord, give us just a bit of their resilient joy. And we were with the church in one light, north of Thailand. Kel would have told you something of the story, but I'm going to get a photo and then we're going to pray. And what happened was this one light church, which was planted out of Southlands three to four years ago, they carried a real burden for unreached people groups. And they heard about a people group called the Yafu people, a very small village, probably not more than a couple of hundred, up in the northern hill country of Thailand. And Dan and Marsha heard that three years ago, some missionaries had gone to preach the gospel to the Yafu people. And there was such hostility to the gospel that they pushed these two missionaries off a cliff and killed them. But if you've ever met Dan and Marsha, you'll know that there is a resilience in them. And they found another couple of missionaries that were willing to go back. And two years ago, they started going back. And they didn't first preach the gospel in word, they preached the gospel in deed. Medical missions, food, dental stuff, just loved them. But very soon after, started to share about the love of Jesus. And you know, as they were obedient, the gospel began to bear fruit one person after another started to give their heart to Jesus. When we were there together, the 20th person in the village became a Christian. They baptized her. 
you would have seen the video. Last week, they cut the ribbon on the very first church ever built in Yafu village. Isn't it amazing? I don't know if you can get a photo up there. Is there a photo up there? And the two men in the purple soccer shirts were orphans and drug addicts in that village. And the Lord met them and saved them and delivered them from addiction. And they physically built that church. It was amazing. The power of the gospel, beloved. The power of the gospel. And Dan, when he left here four years ago, left with this prophetic burden from the Father to go to Thailand and show them a better father than they'd experienced. And he spoke to me last week just so full of joy, even though there's danger every time they go up there, just to say, that promise is coming true. The gospel is bearing fruit, and orphans are getting saved and broken free from addiction. And I want to tell you, our partnership with them is not only good for them, it is good for them. And he thanks you for prayer and giving and hopefully we'll go again, but it's good for us because we realize actually it has been granted to us not only to believe on Christ, but to suffer for Him. And if we are enjoying freedom, we partner closely with those who are truly suffering for Him. Amen? It's so good in this moment to get beyond the borders of our country at the moment, even in our hearts and our minds, because this country is important it's massive, but it's not everything. All over the world, the gospel is growing and bearing fruit. And for us to partner in places where it's under hostility but growing gives us faith that it will continue to advance in hostility. Amen? So let me pray for you.